Hi, and welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. My name is Josue Cardona. With me today is Steve Kuniak, a national certified counselor who is a practicing therapist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And him and I, we started talking very recently because of essentially the, the core principles behind what I call geek therapy. I started this website focusing on geek culture and how geek culture is, you know, how it has all these positive qualities, how you can see it in health, in positive gaming, in psychotherapy. And I wanted to reach out to other clinicians who are doing the same thing. And Steve has actually presented on this topic a number of times, so I'm really excited to have him here and talk about it. Steve, how are you? Good, good. I'm excited about this this uh, geek therapy podcast and this topic. It's, it's definitely a, um, uh, a point close to my own heart. You know, um, as you and I have talked many times, uh, being my, myself a geek, um, it, I think it's important to get this, this message out to folks. And this is why I wanted to have you on here, because you and I share a lot of the same views on this topic. To me, geek culture is a culture identifiable when uh, people talk about being multiculturally competent and recognizing the strengths of other cultures and, and identities I absolutely put geek culture up there with any race or ethnicity because it's something that people identify with. Is this kind of where where you're coming from as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I got the idea to pull the lectures together from um, – I, I was asked to do a lecture on multiculturalism for my, uh, for my own agency before I became uh, – before I became director, actually, I was um, – tasked with uh, teaching the new counseling staff uh, sort of the ropes. Um, I had been most advanced in my in my education by that point, and so um, I'm researching multiculturalism. It's definitely a huge push, I think, in the field of counseling as a whole. Um, for example, uh, my, you know, uh, last year the Pennsylvania Counseling Association's um, lecture point at their state conference was on uh, counseling in a multicultural world and uh, I think that's pretty consistent nationally so if we're if we're talking so much about multiculturalism which I do think is a is a huge and important topic for us as counselors you know every every person has their own culture to identify with and absolutely I think we need to uh, we need to be addressing people's passions um, and certainly the, the geek culture and, and I, I very much agree with you uh, on square one, that it is in fact a culture rather than just sort of a hobby or a pastime. I think we have to give it its due as well. So maybe we should go into what what geek culture means to to us. For for me, it's absolutely you know what what does this group of people identify with? So to me, generally, I consider that comic books, science fiction, fantasy, uh, technology is a big one. Um, I'm a big tech geek. I mean, people use the word in many many different ways. But I think those are, to me at least, the tenets of, of geek culture. I think the people who identify with those and, and have those um, interests are as being the things that I, they identify with and, and really inform, I think, their daily lives. You know, I mean, it's what makes them happy. It's what gives them ideas. It's maybe what they want to work with or at least what they go to when they're feeling down. And what informs their thinking? What, what is geek culture to you? Um, I, I definitely agree with the components that you talked about there. I mean, I think um, every time I go to a con uh, of some sort, we have uh, up in Pittsburgh, we have the Pittsburgh Comic Con and the Steel City Con um, a couple times a year. And I think when I walk down the aisles there, I, I see artifacts um, from geek culture all over the place. You know, I, I think the comic books, the science fiction, the fantasy, um, even video games, um, you know, any of those things that we go to, um, to kind of flavor our lives, I think I think that has everything to do with being a geek, and it's it's really you know I was reading a book not that long ago as I'm, I'm working on my dissertation. Um, it's it's done by a gentleman named Chris Hardwick who's uh, classifies himself as a nerdist, um, and in in his book he talks about how the thing that distinguishes someone as a nerd, which I think I think it's really semantics there when you're talking about a nerd or a geek. I, I think they're talking about the same thing. Um, the thing that he sees someone is, 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 as a as nerd is that they're um, just so focused on one thing or one topic or one genre that they know every little thing about it, every little detail about it. And I think that fits so well with the idea of including tech and um, you know literature and all of those other things. It's not just that we enjoy it; it's that 
Um, we really just immerse ourselves in whatever it is that we have a passion for. I think that's what really identifies someone as a geek in, in my eyes. Yeah, that's a good distinction. A lot of people, they use the word geek and nerd to represent exactly someone who's maybe obsessive or passionate, someone who just knows a lot about a, a certain topic. There's, you can be a geek of anything, right? Um, and yep. And that's definitely one way of referring to it. And I think no one will ever agree on what the word geek means. I think it's, as someone who identifies with geek culture, I kind of know what geeky things are. And nerd and geek is really a distinction that does not, it doesn't really matter most of the time. I think one or the other is 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 just, they're really the same thing. Um, and they're interchangeable is really the word I was looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just um, different ways of coloring and looking at the same thing. Um, so I agree. You know, what do you feel about the negative connotations that some of these words have had? Because I know that I would say that for many years I, I didn't want to talk about my geeky interests and I would never identify as such. I would never tell people, oh, yeah, I'm definitely a geek. Now I'm much more comfortable with that. And, and I'm with you. I've gone to um, comic conventions and things like that. And it's just so much fun. And then you see everybody who's really just involved in the culture and and loves it but there was a time when I, I i wouldn't do that because really the word geek and i think even more nerd and maybe nerd more still has negative connotations how do you feel about that yeah i, I agree with that i think that it's it's always very pleasant to talk to someone who identifies themselves as a geek as well because all of those negative connotations kind of bleed away i think that the culture itself has adopted those terms as um as their own and has some affection towards them now, but I don't think that's always been the case. I know, um, actually before I found my way into college, it was, um, it was really difficult to, um, to enjoy these, these, these things, these components to my life publicly. You know, I had a few friends who were interested in the same sort of, uh, sort of things, interested in Star Wars, interested in, you know, the Lord of the Rings and all that. This is actually pre the films coming out actually, but, um, you know, they were, they, they I could feel natural around, but then I had to kind of live the rest of my day-to-day -day life and um, just not really share a lot about that. Um, I, I joke a lot with, with uh, when, you know, when I'm doing an opening intake with a family, I, I almost routinely see one of the children carrying around a Spider-Man book bag or, you know, now the Avengers this or a Batman that. And I, I, I do openly joke and say, you know, it's incredible. When I was growing up, I would be beat up on the playground for wearing a Spider-Man book bag to school. And that's absolutely true. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that bullying has been a, um, you know, a huge component to my experience in, in identifying as a geek. And now if you don't have that Spider-Man book bag on, if you don't, um, you know, if you can't quote from the Lord of the Rings or something, then you're bullied. You know, it's, this incredible flip-flop has happened, and now it's, it's become much more okay to be a geek, to identify as such. It's become almost accepted. Yeah, if you don't get the reference, then you're not cool. Exactly, and when did that shift? You know, and I, I do remember in college there was there was a strong shifting for me, and that was around the time that the Lord of the Rings was coming out in theaters. The Spider-Man movie was coming out. Star Wars was you know being relaunched, kind of like all around that time period. Suddenly, it became kind of cool to like this stuff. And I actually remember very clearly packing to go to. Uh, to St. Vincent College for my freshman year, I didn't have any of my posters, any of my video game equipment, anything with me because I didn't know what I was walking into and I didn't want to be a target. And then um, that changed. You know, every year past then, I, I felt completely comfortable to, um, you know, to, to wear my comic book T-shirts and to, um, you know, to play video games publicly in the dorm. And it, it's it's very weird to talk about this and think back to that time because it really was um, not, not a shameful activity by any stretch. I still identify that way, but it was not as safe, I think, to, to openly be a geek. And, and now it is. And um, you know, I, I feel very positive about that, thankfully. I remember when I was in college, I felt kind of the same way. And one day I saw a bunch of kids... Um, playing Halo in the hallway of one of the universities, uh, one of the buildings. They had set up TVs and they had um, hooked up a whole bunch of Xboxes and they were playing Halo. And they invited me to play and absolutely I went there and I made just so many friends because I, I, at first I couldn't believe that they were doing it out in the open. You know, it was one of those things that 
how, how, how is this possible? But yeah, I think around that time it shifted, you know, just um, a few years back, it was much, much cooler and people weren't hiding out, maybe doing it. They were, this was out in the open. And I think something that we've, we've only briefly talked about before was that professionally, I know that in the past I have felt like geek culture was something, I kind of felt bullied maybe also in, in professionally where I wanted to, bring up something like superheroes or comic books with um, clients. And like you said, this is something that the kids know now. This is something that not only the kids know, but the adults know, right? The Avengers just made a whole bunch of money. Everybody knows who they are. Um, Superheroes have really been around for so many years. I know that my father, for example, has been, I mean, superheroes and comic books really informed his, his childhood. And now he sees all these movies um, that he's a grown up and and he loves it. It's like his a dream come true seeing all these things on the big screen. But again, yeah. professionally, it just it was something that it seemed to be like off limits was kind of the impression that that I was given. And when when I said, well, these kids like it, so so why don't we use it? Have you did you ever go through any of that kind of maybe bullying or or? Maybe bullying is not the best word, but you know, where, where professionally it, it seemed like it was not acceptable. Yeah, I think that there was, uh, I think people would, uh, and I don't know the word either to use here, but I, I think that they would kind of turn their nose up to them and say, you know, but what about all of this, um, you know, this, this rich heritage we have in, in our profession, uh, you know, why go to that? Uh, that doesn't have a place here. I definitely felt that way. It was um, towards the end of my college career. I was having to choose a thesis topic uh, to complete my psychology degree, and I um, had run across a book that I, I know I spoke to you uh, about um, a bit ago, uh, Killing Monsters by Gerard Jones. And I, I saw that in the library, and I started to read a little bit of it. The, the title attracted me. It just seemed kind of unique. And it was really just speaking to me, everything that I had really thought about, you know, um, uh, why we do this, why, um, it was really kind of an awakening almost that, um, I never really put any thought into why I liked all of these, these things, why, um, you know, I could play video games and it never made me feel particularly violent. In fact, it made me feel better and, and more calm and more relaxed. Um, it just, again, really spoke to me. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to do something for my thesis, I really need to try to do something with this. You know, I, I have to devote at least uh, three or four semesters of my time around this topic. I, I may as well make it something that I'm enjoying. I remember um, taking the topic to my uh, thesis chairperson, and she was very supportive initially, but a little bit kind of uncertain of where I was going to go with this. And I actually remember uh, after I completed my thesis, it, it um, somehow through the college's PR department or something made the local papers, and I got interviewed about it. And that was the first time I, I thought, wow, I kind of landed on something special here. But at the same time, when the article came out, <laughs> I was reading reading through the comments and reading through um, you know everything that this reporter had come up with. And there was a line from my uh, thesis chair, and she had said, you know, I really didn't think this was going to turn out the way that it did for Steve. You know, I, 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 uh, he brought this topic to me, and I didn't think it had any legs to it. And I'm glad <laughs> to see that it turned out differently. And I thought, wow, you know, all that time, <laughs> um, I think that, uh, you know, I'm being supported. In truth, I, I, was, I was being questioned, really. Um, happened again in my professional career. You know, I, I get into working with, uh, with children, with families. And, uh, of course, just like you're saying, the first thing that I want to do is, um, oh, my God, these kids like video games. I can play video games in session. And uh, I'm told, well, you don't really want to talk about that. Maybe you want to, you know, try to figure out another play therapy technique that will work. And it's like, well, but this is natural. This is what they want to do. And, look, there's all these connections that I can make that could be so meaningful for them. And uh, I really had to fight my way through that. Um, now I've become known for it in my own practicing in my area, um, but it, it was it was a bit of a struggle, I think. You know, that you just said it's natural for them, and the whole you know the concept behind play therapy is that play is the language that children use to to get their emotions across, to really speak, right? Um, that's that's the main theory behind play therapy, and absolutely today it's all about superheroes and the cartoons that they watch and video games are such a, a huge part of that. Um, I know that 
I, I worked at a place where they, they actually had a Nintendo Wii there, and they still wanted me to use other sorts of, you know, older board games and things like that that I'm sure they didn't have at their home and they really didn't like. They all had video games at home, but, you know, I was told, no, 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 we, we don't want to use, uh, you know, we don't want to use the video games. We don't know what will happen. We don't know what effect it will have of them. I don't feel comfortable with that. And I thought that that was really a missed opportunity, such a missed opportunity. Uh- I, I got so many times that I, you know, and again, there's been other things. The comic books, um, I know you talked to Patrick uh, uh, previously about his adventures with comic books and therapy, but um, video games have, I mean, not to change the subject totally this way, but video games have um, become such a mainstream um, genre of media that they're so accepted at this point. I don't drive past a shopping plaza without seeing you know, a GameStop or a Best Buy or something like that where they're primarily, um, you know, selling these, selling these particular games. And, you know, you hear on the news um, about how this game or that game has broken this this record previously held by a box office release or something like that. And, yeah, I'm still um, catching flack sometimes with, but don't you think that we're promoting aggression or don't you think we're promoting this or that? And, you know... I just I just can't help but think that you know absolutely I think that there's there's dangers with with anything but that's the same with um, you know I, I had a um, I had a supervisor once who said well why don't you stop talking about um, you know video games with them he's from Western Pennsylvania why don't you talk about hunting I'm thinking you know so we're going to move from video games where we play with violence and I have nothing against hunting at all you know I grew up with that in my family out it's a western pennsylvania sort of thing but um but we're going to talk about walking through the woods with an actual rifle and and shooting you know an animal or something like that that that's okay as opposed to the video game this just doesn't even seem to make sense to me um but that's what I'm coming up against you know it boggles the mind when you really break it down I think doesn't it I've never had such an extreme example uh, come up. Yeah, every time I write about video games, I include statistics about what a multi-billion dollar industry worldwide it is. And when you look at the demographics of who's playing, it's older people. You know, it's not it's not just the kids. It's yep. people in their late 20s. I mean, people of all ages play. Um, it's not only a male um, hobby now, or I shouldn't even call it a hobby. Like you said, it's one of those things that is everywhere and everybody is doing. And people, a, a lot of people, maybe again, people we've come across, um, they they don't seem to to realize that. And I think they also don't realize what what games can be. Games aren't only Call of Duty, War, first person shooters. You know, there are also games like Angry Birds on your phone games, you know, brain training games and things like that that are, you know, Tetris. Uh, so many people have played Tetris or Mario, but they don't they don't consider those when they talk about, you know, when they think about the the problems of video games. I mean, people have many many different um things against um against video games, but the gamut is so it's just so large. There's so many things that are considered or that are video games. It's it's interesting that more professionals don't see that they can absolutely pick a topic or pick almost any problem, I think, in therapy, for example, and there's probably a game that you can use that is somehow touched upon that subject, just like there are books or movies that have touched upon each and every one of those subjects. Yeah, absolutely. I am, as you're talking about that, I'm reminded uh, last summer I had to interview around to try to find a... Um, uh, a teaching internship position as part of uh, my PhD program. And so, you know, I had this opportunity come up to um, teach at a, a local community college, a, um, basically a general psychology course. And so I was called in for the interview, and of course I'm thrilled with this because this is, um, for one, going to give me practice, and it's exciting because this is something I want to do. And so I'm going in for my interview, and, you know, I walk into the office um, of the dean who's going to be interviewing me, and I look around, and he has all sorts of um, samurai sorts of materials, uh, you know, Japanese cultural components all over his office, and, I, you know, I can see that he's written on this topic. And then I notice that he has some samurai um, masks, and then uh, next to them is, is a, a Darth Vader mask. Of course, they look similar 
Um, and so I'm thinking, oh, this is this is perfect. You know, I can tie yeah. into this topic, and I must have some sort of uh, something in common with him. And so I start talking to him about all, of the, you know, about my interests and what what I think I could teach. And he asks what my uh, what my dissertation is on, and so I start talking about video games because that's what my PhD dissertation is on. And he his face changed initially, and, and I started to think like, oh, oh Lord, here 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 we go again. I'm going to get scolded on video games, and um, you know possibly miss this opportunity. And so he wanted to know. He shifted one of his interview questions was, what benefit do I think, from an academic perspective, video games can have? Um, what can they teach us? And I thought about it, and immediately what I went to was um, the Assassin's Creed series um, has so much historical um, accuracy to it. And so I started talking about this and how this, you know, this game that I'm playing currently, if I land on a certain building, I'm able to get a, a, a snippet of history that they, they share with me about that actual location um, historically and how it ties in and how it ties into the game and that all of these people that I'm playing with and against in the story are um, actual people. And you know, so I go through this whole thing and um, thankfully I piqued his interest enough with that discussion that he wanted uh, to hear more and that he wanted me to come back and I was able to get that. Um, but still the initial reaction was um, maybe you can do some good with these crazy games that they have out there. Maybe you can, you know, change the way that um, the games are played. And I'm thinking, oh, I missed the mark. You know, <laughs> the, the games are fine. It's not, it's not that they need fixed. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, just just a, a recent run in with that. And um, every time I think that we're more on par with, oh, people must be accepting this because it's everywhere. You know, there's still another person who's not so sure. Um, Someone with a Darth Vader mask. In his yeah, with no less adopting a portion of the culture and shutting the other side of it, or at least being um, uh, just not knowing enough about that other portion, I guess, or not being interested in it. I still hear so often about video games and aggression, and you know, I'm sure that's a topic for another time. But that comes up constantly, I think, in our in our field. So yeah, on on Geek Therapy, some of the a lot of the articles that I post are the healthy benefits of, of video games. But for every healthy benefit article, there's also a a negative article. And absolutely, that's a topic for a whole other day. Absolutely. <laughs> that is one of those things. The the research is really divided on that. And, and I think, I don't know, I feel that whenever I have this conversation with somebody who who has their reservations about really embracing something like video games or comic books in, in a more professional setting. Um, they really don't, I, I find that they don't understand it. I, I've read research articles where, you know, they don't even make sense. Um, I, I remember one recently that said, I think it was in, in a lot of newspapers, it was talking about how it proved that video games do not improve physical activity in children. But never once in in any of the articles did they mention the fact that the games that they were playing were not very fun. And right. at their core, you know, what we're talking about is is things that appeal to people. I mean, people don't read comic books that are boring or or that they don't like. And the same goes with games. People don't play things that they don't like. Just because it's a game or just because it has a superhero doesn't mean that it is appealing or, or attractive to people. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up too. As I was doing some some research recently, I was reading an article, and I I'll have to look it up, and perhaps we can include the uh, um, the citation. In fact, it may have actually, as I'm thinking, it may have actually been in Killing Monsters. As I'm rereading some of that, um, there's some discussion about uh, the report to Congress about violence in video games that came out um, some time ago. Actually, it's it's a um, it's considered kind of the keystone work about violence in video games. Uh, came out after the Columbine shootings and all of that. Um, you know, tragedy as they were, uh, there was, of course, a bit of a, a witch hunt that came afterwards around um, um, video games. I think they were citing Doom, the video game Doom, as being a primary yeah, catalyst for all of that. Uh, so this report comes out about violence in video games, and apparently um, it was noted after the report was was submitted, the principal researchers admitted that they had never even actually played any of the video games that they were assigning aggressive um, uh, qualifiers to. 
that they simply didn't have the time, and so they took the accounts of their research assistants or what they had heard about the games and assigned them the, the violence qualifiers. So it, I, I agree with, again, I, I can't agree with you more that more often than not when I find that someone doesn't like something about the geek culture, it's really because they've never actually done anything with it. How often, I, I don't know if you've ever run into this, but how often... Um, as I think about it, uh, that I've run into someone and said, oh, well, you know, this happened in Star Wars, and I get that look. Um, I think anybody who identifies as a geek has gotten at some point or another in their lives of, oh, that. Um, you know, <laughs> so I'd say, well, so you don't like, I think you don't like Star Wars very much, and, and I'll get the, of course not. Why would I like Star Wars? And I'd say, well, you, have you seen Star Wars? Well, no. <laughs> Doesn't this go back to the old argument that my parents always used to give me when I didn't want to try the vegetable? Well, have you ever tried the vegetable? How do you know you don't like it? Well, (laughs) you know, it's the same thing. Have you ever tried? Yeah, have you ever tried a geeky thing? Well, no. Well, you know. Yeah, I've had many eyes rolled at me. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually just ran into it this week where one of my colleagues was poking fun at me for wanting to go and see. Yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man was just released a week ago, and I was so excited to see it on release night. And uh, she was poking fun at me about it, this and that, and she had to come back this week. She uh, she had said at the beginning of the week that she had an announcement to make to the rest of the staff, and that was that a movie that she had planned on seeing over the weekend was sold out, and so she and her, her date had decided to go and see Spider-Man. Um, and she was able to get a ticket for that and had to admit that it was actually pretty good. So, you know, again, never having seen any of the previous works or read the comics or anything for that matter. Um, But I I respect her uh, her ability to tone up to that, you know. You know, and I think that this is a good moment to mention that as maybe perhaps geek therapists, right, maybe something we can start calling ourselves, um, we are, I think we're, it's, it's important to make clear that we're therapists first. And if you were to come to see someone who identifies with geek culture or or better yet, um, I consider it I, I embrace geek culture in therapy. If you don't like or not interested in any of those things, we don't have to talk about it. Right. Really, yep. we're, we're, we're talking about people who do like it. People who maybe go around and get the eyes rolled at them can come into a therapy session and talk about what it is that they like, what it is that they're passionate about, what it is that you know, that that brings meaning to their life, how they got through a difficult problem. I know that we talked about kids feeling that, you know, maybe they can speak better talking about a certain superhero or an episode of something that they saw, or maybe even a story from a video game. Lots of people don't realize that video games have stories and and characters and very rich rich stories and characters. And and that's really what we're what we're talking about here. It's and uh, people who who identify with geek culture and and they can feel safe by bringing it up in session and not getting their eyes rolled at them, um, you know, you know, not not having a therapist roll their eyes or tell them to change the subject. Yeah, I think so. And that, I mean, that, that really speaks to. I mean, if we're behaving ethically, and I, I do a, a lecture series now on uh, the ethics in using technology in counseling. If we're behaving ethically, we're going to try to meet our client wherever they are, no matter what it is that they they want to present with. Um, you know, I don't always completely buy into or I'm completely passionate about whatever it is my client walks in with. But if they present me with a metaphor, I'm going to use my, you know, my my skills to the best of my ability to to do what's going to be meaningful with them. So if they don't want to present with, um, you know, geek cultural references, absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm not going to force that on them. That's, that's up to them. I, you know, I, I, want to, I want to practice best no matter what that is. But um, I, I, I think you're, you're dead on when you say, you know, if, I, I think that people should feel comfortable in bringing that up in a session if they are, um, you know, a, a geek, if they would identify themselves as a geek or a nerd or, or whatnot. They shouldn't feel uncomfortable to use that in, in a, you know, if they're seeking out counseling. Um, and I, I think the unfortunate reality is is that there are plenty of clinicians out there who would fall to 
what the overarching belief system is around these things. And so a client comes in and says, well, it's just like when um, Luke realizes that, that Vader's his father. I recognize that's a spoiler. I hope that anyone who would be viewing your site would know that already, but just in case, <laughs> apologize. But, um, absolutely. But, you know, they, they want to say that, and then the clinician um, says, you know, to sort of discounts that and moves on. Isn't that so damaging to that person? Um to not be able to use a reference that really resonates with them. So I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely on target that um, people should feel comfortable in saying those things. People should feel comfortable in coming to their counselor, their psychologist, their therapist, and um, be able to, um, to make use of something that they feel very passionate about. And that's an area that you just used. Even if the clinician doesn't know what Star Wars is, doesn't get the Darth Vader reference, just asking the client, hey, listen, I don't, I don't know what that is, but can, can you explain what that is to me? That alone means so much more than dismissing it or going into, I know, I know that some people would instead say, well, you know, like, could you say that differently instead, you know, because I don't understand that. Or could you, could you stop talking about whatever it is that I'm uncomfortable with and talk about something else? I, I've seen that happen with kids a lot and it's, it's so sad. And I know that with adults, I mean, I've had the same exact thing. I've had, you know, Blade Runner references come up and Matrix references and Star Wars and things like that. And it's a lot better if you know, but really we, we don't know every, every reference. You know, we don't know everything. We don't watch every single show. And it's really more of a respect for, again, that culture, right? It's, it's geek culture. This is the type of thing that we do. We talk about, we make references all the time to the things that we like and we watch on a on a regular basis. Absolutely. And, and you know, I do, um, I do a lecture on multiculturalism ever since I was asked to do that in my agency. I still do a general multicultural lecture for new therapists who are coming in or new, um, you know, peer specialists who are coming in. And one of the things that I always throw out there early is, you know, I, I'm in typical Pittsburgh fashion. I have a, a, a whole, me of ethnicities that make me up. I, uh, my mother is Italian. My dad is, um, you know, German, um, Polish, Slovak, etc. All the, the different typical Pittsburgh nationalities. But so I, I grew up with a, with on my mother's side of the family, a very strong Italian cultural component. And so, you know, certain holidays were celebrated certain ways, and certain um, gatherings were celebrated certain ways. And so, if I have a client who comes into me and is expressing something about being Italian, I still can't jump to the conclusion that I'm going to know exactly what that person is referencing. And so I think it's just good practice to simply say, if I'm not clear, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Even if it's a, a culture that I really strongly buy into, I think that's just good practice to uh, to let them tell their story, give them, you know, give me their perspective on, on what it is that they're experiencing. And I agree with you. I've heard so many times where someone is trying to get the client to um, shift and share something with them. And I don't think that that's always completely harmful, but I think that, you know, when we're really thinking about what it is that we do, we're there at the service of the client. And so... Um, it does make just uh, think about the buy-in that we get from from our our clients when we show interest in what it is that they're doing genuinely. I mean, people really know when you're being genuine and when you're not, and um, it really is almost a virtue ethics where we have to just be that accepting uh, throughout all of our practice. I think, and then we are that accepting um, when the client walks in with one of their specific you know, cultural components or, or geek um, components. Uh, that they want to share. Yeah, absolutely. We, I, I think we, we, the way we're talking about geek culture, we could talk about any culture, really. Absolutely. And how it's, it's all about respecting the, the client's culture and, you know, p putting bias aside and, you know, letting, letting the, the client exp express themselves and feel comfortable. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for you, it's been pretty, I guess you've been successful so far in introducing the idea of geek as a culture in um, clinical settings, right? And yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's still a struggle from time to time, but I think, I think, like I said, I've become kind of known for it out here. So, so what do you? So, one thing that I find is that whenever you hear about video games and therapy, comics and therapy, you absolutely have those people who, you know, are asking for the research. They tell you that it's absolutely 
not true, that that stuff will rot your mind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you also get a lot of new clinicians or practicing clinicians who get inspired by that, who feel vindicated sort of and and, uh, liberated by the idea that they can actually introduce the things that they like into therapy and that there are other people who, who can do that. So do you have any recommendations for somebody Maybe somebody who's just starting grad school or thinking about grad school wants to be a clinician, um, wants to be a therapist, and, you know, has a passion for things like this, who who maybe identifies with geek culture and would like to introduce that into their practice. Um, the question is, do I have any recommendations on how to go about introducing that? I, I think, for one... No, I think I think that for one, just if they're listening to this podcast, I think that's a huge start because now they know that there are other clinicians out there who are, um, as it were, fighting the good fight uh, for this this particular topic area. So I think one thing is to just hold strong to that. Uh, you know, I'd advocate that for anybody who had a new idea. I mean, think about if any of the forefathers of our profession had been told that their idea was absolutely not going to happen. I mean, can you imagine if if we didn't have a Gestalt therapy? Because because someone told Fritz Perls that uh, you know the empty chair technique was was ridiculous, and I'm sure a lot of people did. I'm, I'm sure that they did. You're right. Actually, you're right. And but he continued on, and so I think that that's the thing is know that what you're doing, you know, one of the best uh, pieces of advice I've ever gotten as a clinician is um, from my undergraduate program. Um, He's actually written a lot on the topic of religion. He is indeed a priest. Uh, his name is Father Vernon Holtz. He shared with me that if I'm really going to be practicing and I'm really going to be doing this long term, I need to realize that the clinician is the tool in in what it is that we're practicing. You know, any other profession, you know, the surgeon has his scalpel. Uh, my dad's a dentist. You know, the dentist has his brushes and his picks and his his various dental implements. And you know, even a gardener has his tools. Counseling, psychology, therapy is one of the only professions wherein the clinician is the tool, um, and they bring everything about themselves into that session. So, you know, if you're a geek therapist, uh, as, as we're starting to coin the term here, and you're trying to practice and you're um, catching a, a lot of grief about what it is that you're trying to do, I think that you, you know, the most practical piece of advice I have is you, you have to be congruent. You have to be who you are in therapy. And so if you let any of that go, you know, what a waste. And, and your clients will not benefit from it. So I think that you need to stick to your guns with that and just really know that there are going to be opportunities out there um, where you are going to be able to practice the way that you want to. Don't put aside any of the traditional therapies. I mean, there's, we have a, a rich history here to pull on and benefit as many clients as we possibly can, but uh, don't give up on um, researching and, and speaking and, and just talking to any person that you possibly can about what it is that you feel passionate about. Yeah, um, like you mentioned before, one of the definitions of geek is being uh, passionate or, or about a specific subject. You could also call that expertise, right? You're an expert in an area and not being able to bring that into the work that you love is really a disservice to not only your clients, but the profession. I mean, you have a lot to to add in that area because it's something that you know very, very well. And I think, you know, people who are interested in this should also remember that they're not alone. I mean, not only are there therapists out there like you and me who are interested in respecting, right, uh, geek culture, but there are also a lot of geeks out there. Um, Comic-Con is happening right now as we speak in San Diego, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people show up there. So there are a lot of people who have those interests. And to be able to go somewhere and ask for help and deal with an issue that is not related to 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 your you know to your your passion for geek culture but to be able to express yourself freely and talk about that is just fantastic and and i think maybe something else is that um as students i think um doing a lot of research in to what we're calling geek therapy what is the research behind using comic books in therapy or using video games in therapy i think there's a lot to uh, there's still a lot to do in that area Absolutely. I think that that's, you know, if you if you see a hole in the research, I think we have an obligation to fill it. The articles that I was just reviewing, though it has a little bit of a negative spin overall on video games, they do, uh, and, I, and I respect the article for this, they do put out there that a lot of the research that has been done on video games has been grossly misrepresented and um, has not been really well researched. I mean, you have to do good research on the topic. You know, we, we owe it to the profession, I think, to contribute in any which way we can. So 
whether new or old, I think we um, we have a responsibility to contribute to the literature um, because that's where we draw our, our skills and our practice, and that's what's being taught to the new clinicians out there. So I, I think we need to make our arguments, um, and there's definitely a lot of room to, to play with that and to contribute. Yeah, and that research will be better if people who actually know the the material, who know the video games, know the comic books, are the ones who are performing the research or leading it in some way. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think that we still owe it to the profession to be unbiased and to report our results the way that they come out, but who better to do the research than people who know the topic area inside and out? If, you, if it's just an interesting research topic and, and some um, academic somewhere is pulling up on it to to say, oh, well, you know, there's nothing much done here. I can contribute to the topic and finish up my tenure requirements. That's one thing. But someone who really feels passionate about it is going to make sure, I think, that they dot all their I's, cross all their T's, and really contribute something meaningful. And so, again, who better? Yeah. And also, the more research there is out there to support the effectiveness of using uh, geek culture in therapy, the easier it'll be for us to justify that when we're out there and we have a supervisor or we're talking to people who don't want to go in that area, don't want to embrace it, then we have the research to back it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, Steve, right now, is there, let's say we talked about clinicians, but what about people who are potential clients? You know, someone who may be feeling depressed, someone who may be, you know, just going through a lot of stress, someone who's thinking about going to therapy. Um, what ways should they either bring this up to their their current clinicians, or is there any way for them to find people who embrace this kind of thing? Because I know that, for example, once I set up the Geek Therapy website, I I had people come up to me and say, oh, well, I wanted to to do this because I saw the Geek Therapy website. I wanted to be your client. So what advice do you have for anybody who's out there and maybe is thinking about therapy or has thought about it in the past but dismissed it, but now that they're hearing, wait a minute, I can talk about the things that I like and I can be, I can make Star Wars references uh, with my therapist. Um, how should they go about looking for people who, who either do this or, or, have, or are interested? I think that's a, that's a great question. It really speaks to something that I, I want to accomplish with my career, which is to set up some sort of a credentialing board for uh, geek therapists. And I know I've spoken to you about it. I've spoken to... Um, Patrick about it, and I, I think that that needs to be out there for the clients, really, the potential clients to find the research, find how to advocate for themselves, find out how to find a therapist in this area. Um, but I think for the time being, um, until something like that exists, I think, you know, I always encourage clients when I'm either working with them for the first time or preparing them for aftercare as we're transitioning them out of services into something else or whatever the case may be, um, you know, if you don't find that you mesh with your, your um, counselor, with your with your psychologist, you need to shop around. So I think it's I Absolutely. think it's appropriate really to to speak to the person and say, you know, I I really feel comfortable talk, talking about this area. Do you feel comfortable with that? And if you get the vibe that they don't, I mean, just like if I felt like I was being um, uh, looked at, um, uh, I don't know the words there, looked at wrong for my my religious belief system. You know, I feel like if I went to a counselor and I wanted to talk about my faith, I should be able to talk about that. Same thing. If you're feeling that you're you're getting a biased approach to, you know, I really connect with this. Will you will you talk to me about this? I think it's time to shop around. I think it's time to ask other clinicians. You know, um, uh, I, I would hope that after hearing about this, some some clinicians will start to advertise <laughs> that they that they have a specialty in this or that they're interested in this topic. But certainly, I think as we're all talking to each other, we're creating a network here, and so I think. Um, just searching the internet and starting to have a look at who's practicing where. Um, you know, you find a researcher or an academic who is familiar with this topic area, ask them. Um, I've never known a clinician to not be willing to talk about what it is that they are good at doing or what it is that they're skilled with or talk about their theoretical approach. I think that every clinician should know how they approach a client theoretically. And so if you, you know, get a question about that or if a client feels brave enough to um, ask someone about it. Uh, I think that's where you, you start the footwork. But absolutely, shop around. Um, if you're not getting what you need, it, it, this is 
this is is people's health that we're talking about here. It's not physical health, it's mental health. And without that, what what are we? So if that's not working out, I I think you need to um, just hit the phone book, start start calling around, start trying out appointments. Um, But do do feel firm enough to just bring it up in session and say, this would be really valuable to me. Can you you help me with that? Um, Anyone who's practicing, I think, correctly would have to say, you know, yes, absolutely, I can help you with that. I'd like to learn more about it. Why don't you tell me about it if, you know, if I don't know? Or, um, you know, I don't feel comfortable in that area. Why don't we find someone who can? So, you know, definitely, definitely ask. Um, as, a, as, a, as a therapist, I, I love the idea of being able to, you know, ha- take a test or something that says, you know, hey, you know, you are, you are geek culture competent, yeah. right? And maybe have some sort of stamp um, I know I've seen that with, for example, Christian counselors. If you're looking for a Christian counselor, you see that, you know, they have, you know, they have that stated on their website. There's a whole, a whole way of getting credentialed in that way, also. And to a lesser degree, there's also just acknowledging that you, that you respect other cultures. I mean, it's sad to say, but a lot of, a lot of clinicians do have, um, do have prejudices, and and they do feel uncomfortable dealing with certain things, whether it be personal traumas or, or something or something completely different, like maybe the opposite of a, you know, a Christian certified counselor would be someone who doesn't want to talk to talk about that. And to be open about that is, is a very important thing for, for our clients. So maybe using, I know I've seen a uh, gamer affirming. I've seen a, a therapist use that. I think maybe, you know, geek culture affirming is, is a good way to start, you know, put that on your, on your bio or on your website. And just so, so clients know, Oh, Hey, this I, I I respect that and and I support that is really what that word means. You know I, I'm affirming to to that culture. Yeah, absolutely. And you know having this conversation with you, I think really drives it forward that perhaps this is the next thing that needs done for our field. I you know, like I said, I've talked to Patrick about it. I've talked to you about it. Um, it certainly would not hurt. I think that any any um, having a body that is willing to step up and and back. The clinicians who are trying to accomplish something is is really uh, the cornerstone of of, uh, of pushing in a new clinical orientation or a new theoretical orientation. So I think that's definitely something coming down coming down the pike for us here real soon. I think it needs to, just like any other theoretical orientation out there. You mentioned Christian counseling. I, yeah, I have a colleague of mine who is you know a, a certified Christian counselor, and he's very proud of that. And his practice has. Um, really thrived on that. There are people out there who really want to feel like they can bring their faith into the counseling session, you know, and, and I, I just I give him a lot of credit for um, just being courageous enough to put that out there. Um, and so I think I think you're right. Anything, anything that till a governing body steps up, till we can get something worked out here that's more formal, anything out there that, that affirms that, yes, I'm willing to talk to you about this thing that you hold dear, I, I think absolutely that that's where we need to go. So any professionals listening, that's a great suggestion. And this reminds me too, if you were a client and you were looking for somebody and you were, English is not your first language. For example, Spanish is your first language. You would look for a clinician who speaks Spanish. You know, so, and, and I think that every culture has their own language, their own jargon, their own, their own way of speaking. And I think that goes to what we're talking about, references. If you start talking about Lord of the Rings or start talking about, um, you know, or start making Darth Vader references, um, I think I think that's an, its own special language, right? That you can just go ahead and it, and speak to me in that way, and we don't need a translator. I think I think that's fantastic. So just to advertise it, just like you would any other language that you speak, um, is is another way to look at it. Yeah, and I, I think that the use of language is a whole nother uh, podcast topic that we could we could talk about it for some time because I think that the language really does convey meaning. You know, if you're not using a common language, you're having to talk all around the thing that you're trying to get across. Whereas, like I said, if you're talking about, well, like you said as well, the, the whole idea of Darth Vader and the transformation and this and that, the imagery pops immediately into our mind. It's something that we have both seen very clearly, and so we, we know what we're talking about with each other. That saves all that all that discussion, all that trying to convince, and now we're talking the same language. Um, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Of course, uh, I wouldn't want to go to a, a clinician who didn't speak the same language as I did. It would be impossible. Same idea. On, on my personal website, I actually have a list of the languages, quote unquote, that I that I speak, and among them are science fiction, um, video games. British television because I'm a BBC fan. You know, it's just a way, uh, my way of saying, 
hey, these are things that I understand and that we can talk about. Um, and I understand that if you they're important to you and you like them, you know, come see me. And I think I think we can work well together. Yep. So there's different ways of doing it. Absolutely. There's different ways of doing it. I just hope the clinicians are or can be more open about it, because I think especially older clinicians that I've met, they feel uncomfortable, you know, about sharing interpersonal information. Sure. But now at least I was encouraged as a as a grad student to put your personality out there. You know, you're not you don't have to talk about your personal life exactly. You don't have to talk about very personal things, but I think especially when we talk about geek culture, it informs our personality so much. Yes. That to put that out there is is really important. Yeah, I think I think it's critical. Absolutely. All right, so I want to thank you Steve for coming on and talking about this topic. This is I'm so passionate about this. I love this topic. This is exactly why I built Geek Therapy. I mean, uh, our news articles are about tons of different topics, combining education and counseling and and medicine with geek culture. Specifically, I'm a, a mental health therapist, and so are you. So our conversation um, went in that direction. That's really the the core of of of, um, of what we do. So I'm I'm so glad to be able to talk to you about this, and I hope you can come on some other time, and maybe we can talk about specifics of what geek therapy actually looks like, and talk about how we can use specific topics or themes, and how they can be therapeutic, not only in session but out of session. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to have been a part of this, and I look forward to, to uh, many returns. I think I, I think that there's just plenty of topics that we could choose. Everything from using comic books in session, which I've done, to using video games actively in session, to talking about metaphor and language. Um, all of those are common threads with everything that we've talked about today. And I think it's all critical, not just for our profession, but just for people who want to enjoy the geek culture and want to know a little bit more about why it is they like these things. I, I think that, um, you know, this this has been a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to our, our next conversations. Great. So, so, Steve, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? For the time being, um, I do have a Twitter account. My name is at Steve Agorn. Uh, that's S-T-E-V-A-G-O-R-N. And uh, that's uh, it's easy to remember my first name. And then mixed with uh, the last component of Aragorn from the Lord of the Rings name. Okay, so it sounds like right now Twitter is the best way to reach you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to having you on again in the future. Thanks, Steve. Absolutely. I look forward to it as well. Take care. If you want to know more about Geek Therapy, visit um, www.geektherapy.info for our curated news site or geektherapypodcast.com for other episodes of the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. 